In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. Now, this show also has listeners from all over the world, so good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this show, let me tell you what this show is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what the impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, data protection regulations, and leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry because just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and we're all over the web on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us under Leadership Beyond Borders. I also invite you to connect with me. Send me a mail at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail and tell me what you want to hear about on this show. So if if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to today, we're going to talk about a little bit about technology and digital strategies. When it comes to technology, the key for any organization is uptime. Every company has employees, whether it's a small business with one or two employees or a giant business with thousands, and they all use technology. And this means that technology must be reliable and ensure that the company has a strong network. But this is not so easy to do. Technology is constantly changing. The needs of businesses change. Customer expectations change. And this means companies, regardless they're large or small, need to be up to date. There are also so many layers embedded in digital strategy, like privacy, information security, and much more. And today we're going to unlock the mysteries behind building a great digital strategy. Our guest today is Andrew Cohen, the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, which was acquired by NetSurret in 2021 in December. Andrew is now Managing Director at NetSurit, and he heads up NetSurit's Automate division. Evoke was an award-winning digital transition company that partners with their clients to build modern workplace solutions for nearly every common organization and technology challenge imaginable. In 2019, Andrew launched Evoke Engage division that focuses on automation and streaming processes. He joined NetSurit at the beginning of 2020 and now allows NetSurit to provide their clients with guidance and solutions using technology to maximize ROI. Andrew also serves on the following boards, Red Cross, People USA, Directors, Board of Directors, and Pathfinder Board of Directors, and he's an avid soccer fan. So, so Andrew, welcome, welcome to the show, and uh, it's great to have you. Thanks, Kimberly. Thank you for that, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. Okay. Yeah, but we're not going to even start the interview yet, Andrew, until you answer me one question. Sure. So you're an avid soccer player. Who's yeah. your team? Well, I was also a soccer player my whole life uh, oh. growing up. So I was, I actually played in Brazil in the Sao Paulo Football Club, and then I went to school at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and played there as well in scholarship. Wow. But now I follow Chelsea, unfortunately. So this year has ah. been kind of rough. <laughs> so. ah. Oh, well, I was going to say, I had to say, because I'm a Dortmund fan, okay? Oh, okay. And, 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 and Dortmund, it was kind of rough anyways, as they gave up the uh, the German championships this year. Okay. Oh, well, we can still have a conversation then. We don't hate each other's teams. So no, cool. no, no, no. Okay, Perfect. so now, uh, now on, to, on, to the, on to the subject today. Absolutely. Now that we got that, we got that out of the way. Okay, um, so just um, tell, tell us, first tell us a little bit about NetSurrent. 
Sure, sure. And that's sir, they're a global MSP, a managed service providing company. And they're headquartered in South Africa, but also a big, large presence in the United States. We also have operations in Eastern Europe and Poland. And NetServe really focuses about 400 uh, people worldwide now, and we focus, they heavily focus on managed services, cybersecurity, foundational, helping companies really move into the cloud and making sure all that cybersecurity and managed services are covered. My group really was acquired for the specific need of uh, bringing a new division, new excitement to the industry for them in particular in that space by uh, introducing automation innovation to their existing clients and new clients that we work with and ones that we would bring to them for the managed services side. So it was a really interesting marriage from traditionally companies that didn't really have that same offering. Now we offer it across all the all different types of services across all mm-hmm. industries. So when you talk about automation innovation and and um, yeah. you t- you talk about uh, on uh, I read some I'm not sort on digital transformation strategies yeah. mm-hmm. and so why why is it you know I mean it, we're kind of in 2023 and 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 I thought maybe pretty much everybody was transformed but I know everything's changing so mm-hmm. why is it so important to have a digital transformation strategy. Yeah, that's a really good question. A lot of companies have either have a plan in place or they're executing that plan or they're planning on having their uh, start to it. So digital transformation is a very broad topic. And it also relates into three main kind of areas and pillars, we call it. So the first uh, area, which you kind of spoke to, Kimberly, is about the foundational transformation, moving from traditional on-premise, what they call it, old servers that you'd have housed somewhere to the cloud. So that's been a massive transition that's happened over the last several years, obviously. Uh, COVID actually helped accelerate a lot of those decisions, too, to move those digital transformation strategies quicker. So once you get that foundational area kind of moved into the cloud, whether it's Microsoft technologies, Google, or Amazon, which you decide on your cloud offering, you move into what we call the operational effectiveness. And that's where my team starts to look at how you're currently utilizing that investment. How do you leverage your technology investment that you've already migrated into the cloud and you did that digital transformation? And then the final kind of uh, pillar that we really focus on for operational effectiveness is also the customer experience side of it. So those two... Uh, pillars beyond the foundational side is where automation, innovation kind of takes uh, ownership of. Okay. And so when, when you know, I was, I was kind of reading through your material and, mm-hmm, sure. and you, you talk a lot about um, the acronym DTX. Could mm-hmm. you explain what that sure. is and why that's important to companies? Yeah, and that's just the digital transformation, just to shorten it for a quick explanation. So digital transformation, we look at it as a different way than most companies. A lot of times there are people set these kind of strategies in place, there's a start and end date. We call it perpetual agility or perpetual innovation. So we don't see an end date. We don't see a final goal line because there's constantly new technologies that get introduced, obviously, with the introduction of ChatGPT so rapidly being explored and mm-hmm. uh, implemented now. Uh, we actually work with that for several clients. I'll get to that probably later in this conversation. So you can't really say that you're completely digitally transformed when there's so many new things that are keep coming down the pipe. So our go, our team is really on the uh, kind of leading edge of that, understanding what's coming in, how to look at what a company's challenged with, and then introduce uh, solutions that fix uh, business processes that are somewhat either broken or manual effort, and are constantly being reshaped and shifted to create what we call this maximum return on your investment. Mm-hmm. And and when you're starting to do that, so you talked about the three pillars. Just one more time for me. So we have yeah. the foundation, the foundational, which everybody's on, the operational effectiveness, and the third again was, was customer side of it. Yeah, customer so experience. The customer, the customer experience. meaning a customer that could be a one to like a consumer, or a customer could you be B two B. So we work with anywhere from SMB, small medium businesses, all the way to enterprise clients. So how they engage with the customer is different depending on the relationship we're working with. So yeah, that um, operational effectiveness is really that kind of uh, stuff that you do internally from manual processes. We look how we can stitch systems together automatically and create what we call the single source of truth or single uh, plane of glass in terms of what they're looking at. So everyone's operating on the same type of information. So you're not digging in through emails and other kind of uh, shared drives. You're elevating things to a visual experience so everyone's operating on the same information. And the customer side, there's so many different ways we engage with customers who either mobile applications or portals, things of that nature where the customer can interface with all these other systems we already fixed on the operational effect on the side. Mm-hmm. So, so let, let's just start from the, mm-hmm. to the operational effectiveness because I'm sure. going to try to assume, and, and yeah. maybe this is not true, maybe my assumption is wrong, um, mm-hmm. 
is pretty much is a foundational part. Pretty much most companies have kind of um, at least hit that milestone at this point. <laughs> I would say no. I mean, it, you'd no. be surprised. Yeah, you see, we have Oh, my God. You know, we yeah. we actually have kind of a methodology we do this kind of matrix we look at when we speak to customers. You know, the small, medium businesses, we call them the jackrabbits, and then the large organizations, sort of like the junkers, the big ones. So most organizations have tried their the, uh, digital transformation strategy to some level. Some are failed. Some have gotten somewhat uh, midstream. Some have hybrid kind of solutions they put in place, which means they'll have stuff in the cloud, stuff still on premise. So every customer has a unique kind of story. So just uh, it sounds like most companies have at least to try to go down that path. And when we engage with them, we do what we call initial impact assessment, understanding where they are in that digital transformation journey. If they're still kind of in a foundational kind of a hybrid state, it doesn't prohibit them to work with the Innovate team. It's just more we understand what they're doing and where they're going and maybe introduce some other areas of the business that can help them get that full uh, migration completed. Yeah, well, you know, that surprises me. I can get it on the SMB side, but I, I don't get it on the on the enterprise or the middle cost size, you know, that, um, um, you know, you'd think after the pandemic, especially, you know, uh, when everybody, the people mm. would probably have that foundation in place. Um, but it's, so let's say they, go ahead. Right. Well, so I was going to just say that on the enterprise side, they, you would think they would have it covered. And look, there is a lot of digital transformation that's already happened in the enterprise. Remember, they're when I call them a junker, it's not to be uh, disrespectful to them because we have a lot of enterprise clients. It's more just it takes a lot of time to get decisions in place, and there's a lot of fear of the unknown with newer technologies. So you might we have a client right now that is on a really old technology. It's no longer supported by Microsoft, and they're two to three years behind where they should be. And it's mm-hmm. only because of tech debt and all these other kind of things until they can actually decide to move it to the new environments, the new solutions out there. It's just a slower process sometimes. So yeah, it's not that they don't want to transform or they have that strategy. It's just more that it's decisions sometimes by a large committee and then the cost to do things gets factored in. So there's different ways and mechanisms, how an enterprise looks at it versus how an SMB can do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, at that, the time and for large enterprises or corporations, I can imagine that. OK, yeah. especially mm-hmm. sure. especially especially those legacy ones. OK, mm-hmm. it yeah. takes forever to get a decision. Um, so, you know, let's say uh, let's say they're not there yet. What yeah. you know, how how long does it really take or mm. it, it, does it differ differ, you know, how to really put into a, a really good digital transformation yeah. strategy? That's a good question. And also, this is contextual in terms of the size of the organization So, and also the industry. So some industries have a lot of different systems that they have to connect and upgrade as well as in a parallel strategy just to migrate into like a cloud. Let's say they want to move just into the full Microsoft 365 suite. That's their emails, their office outlook, and things of that nature. They just need to start to defining that first step first, because there's other systems that they're working with already that downstream have an upgrade path. So they they have to determine what's needed first. You do that assessment, what they want to do. And within like a three to six month period, they probably can execute on that um, move into the cloud strategy. And that might time out very well as you look at roadmap when the other um, systems are going to be upgraded and turned online. They don't prohibit one over the other. It's just you need to understand what they're doing, that full framework of that organization. And this can be a small business of like 100 people who have multiple systems in place as they're doing that migration strategy. They also have the opportunity that they need to look at what other downstream systems are going to be impacted. So there's a lot of things that kind of happen when you're looking at these corporations and how they're doing it mm-hmm. and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, and when you talk about multiple systems, that that's I, I want to come back to that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a short break. Sure. When we come back, I I, re- I want to talk a little bit about that, and then also getting you know how you get the team on board, what what kind of people you need to actually you know get mm-hmm. this going. Um, so we'll do that after the break. So for our listeners, our guest today is Andrew Korn, and he is the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, which was acquired by Netsuit in December. 2021, and he is now the managing director and partner at NetSort, and he heads up the Automate division. And we are talking with him about digital transitions. And uh, Andrew is also a Chelsea fan. I have to throw that in. Sorry, Andrew. Okay, so this year, <laughs> just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drill that into you all day. No worries, okay. No worries. Uh, okay. So if you wanna, um, if you wanna learn more about NetSort, please go to the website www.netsort.com, and you can learn all about NetSort and their services and NetSert is also on Facebook and on LinkedIn 
and on Twitter at, at NetSurret. And they also are on YouTube if you want to find them under NetSurret underscore global. And you can reach Andrew on LinkedIn. So please reach out and learn about some of their services. And this broadcast is also by brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, do market research, and legislative white papers on digital. They also have a learning series on Thursdays at 1700 CET, and they hold conferences, and their next conference is October 22nd to 25th in Porto, Portugal. Cinda also has a e-learning platform for entrepreneurs and founders that is free, and it takes an entrepreneur and a founder from idea to exit. So please go to www.cinda.org and check them out. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Inflation remains higher than average. I'm Ference, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. Inflation increases costs and is typically bad for stocks and real estate values. Your personal bank dividends are interest rate sensitive. This can help offset inflation. For more info, tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show or contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about um, digital and technology changes and strategies within companies. And our guest today is Andrew Cohen, and he is the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, uh, which was acquired by NetSuret in December 2021. And he is now the managing director and partner at NetSuret and heads up the NetSuret Automate division. And so before, before the... Um, uh, the break, Andrew, we we're kind of talking about, I asked about, I was first of all, I was quite surprised to find out that, you know, the, the, the foundation, the fundamental mm-hmm. part is not always done in all companies. I mean, right. SMBs, I kind of expected, but enterprise, and we talked about the time of three to six months and because a lot of time they're multiple systems. So I have a, first I have a question on the multiple systems. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, I remember 10, 15 years ago in some of the companies <laughs> I worked in, you know, I mean, we had more systems and nobody talked right. to each other and it yeah. was crazy. I mean, the, the transition today is more to one systems or not so multiple systems or, you know, making sure that the systems talk to each other. What, what are you seeing yeah. as the trends? That's a good question. We look at it and it all depends again, SMB and enterprise still have the same type of issues. They'll have dis, you know disparate systems that don't communicate to each other. So the trend is how do we either eliminate, um, depreciate systems that are no longer really needed because there might be availability from other uh, platforms that give you those components. So there's mm-hmm. certain things that get kind of consolidated down to get re- reduced tech debt across all organizations, no matter the size. I mentioned that things, the SMBs, we call them jackrabbits sometimes because they'll try out every new flavor of SaaS product out there. <laughs> and you have every of these SaaS products, they all have a high cost after a certain amount of time. If you have 100 plus users, they're not talking to each other. 
So what mm-hmm. we need to do in that kind of scenario is identify which ones still need to stay in their uh, technology uh, ecosystem, so to speak, and how do we stitch those together? How do we communicate to those through either APIs, which is the way you can connect to system to system, or there's other workarounds that you can actually create like a, what we call a automate bot desktop that can actually go into those systems for you and pull data you need. So the whole point is, can you get to that data in a real-time aspect? So someone's not having to flip between five or six different op- applications, they can see it unified into a common screen in a common area. So that's what happens mm-hmm. in what I said, those jackrabbits. And again, I mentioned those junkers before the larger organizations. Well, they, they have a much uh, bigger challenge because they have the enterprise applications that don't traditionally talk to each other as well. So you start figuring out how you're going to communicate a solution, an application that's critical for decisions and insights for an organization of 1,000-plus employees. You need to be able to communicate to systems like SAP out there, Oracle, Salesforce, and have that two-way communication. So the things you're doing in on the um, internal applications we build need to communicate back to those systems so it's a real-time transactional behavior. So there's none of this kind of things, downloading, double entry, data entry, where personnel is just hired just to do double work. So we look (laughs) at ways of how we're going to address those solutions depending on the context of what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve, and how we can introduce automation to assist in all those opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I can completely relate to that in a legacy um, environment because I worked in the telecom for a while. Oh, yeah. So, yeah talk about <laughs> legacy environments, okay? Right. Um, but uh, Which brings me to another question. When you when NetSuite and you go in with your team and start yeah. to look at things, when, when, when you're looking at these companies, these large enterprise companies, um, how do you find and build the right teams to do this? Because I can tell you my experience in some of these mm-hmm. is there's a, there's sometimes a reluctance to yeah. to move, even though people know they have to move. Okay, sure. how, how do you manage that? It's it's very good. In the larger organizations, the enterprise traditionally we help support their center of excellence. They'll create IT will have a digital strategy, a transformation strategy roadmap that they want to look at automation, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, whatever the components that fall into that IT infrastructure that they're going to execute out for their, what they call the lines of business or the uh, divisions. You know, it depends on how the company describes themselves. We help support that center of excellence. So what happens is we become the preferred supplier to offer automation or AI uh, solutions within that environment. The demand comes from the line of business or the division. They have a particular need, where it's, whether it's sales, marketing, procurement, HR, IT, whatever it is, they'll have a demand for their, here's a use case that is traditionally a manual effort. It's killing us in terms of time effort cost risk is a huge one in the enterprise space it gets centralized into this funnel from the center of excellence from it uh, managed and then by we rate and prioritize those based on feasibility and value back to the business and those are the ones that get executed on first and then you Mm -hmm. go down the line from there so it's a really kind of a streamlined approach in terms of how you can execute solutions on an ongoing basis within a large organization Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's all building. That, that's all building kind of the fundamentals. So let's let's move yeah. on to the second pillar for a minute. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so 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 you get this impl- You know, you come into a company who maybe has this fundamental. You know, they're in the cloud. Um, yeah. Whether it's Microsoft, Amazon, or Google. Okay, um, they're in there, but it's not exactly probably contributing. I want to say contributing to the business with sure. the efficiencies that it should. So how do you start yeah. to determine? What what needs to be done for art for operational yeah. effectiveness? Absolutely, and again, it goes back to we we're trying to leverage their technology investment. So we look at a lot of low code, no code solutions that they can get by their existing licensing that they have at the organization. So when you look at that, you start understanding operational effectiveness issues. We have to do what we call this ideation workshops with the different business units, and each business unit has a different type of workflow. They're uh, currently executing in a manual effort, or systems aren't communicating. So we identify those in these ongoing workshops that we chart that together, we value, rate those together, prioritize, and based on the biggest value to the business, those get listed into those use cases we're going to identify and implement first in their environment. And again, everything that we do for my team lives in the company's um, in their environment, in their tenancy, so to speak. We don't know host or do anything. It's all their technology. We just implement the solutions on that. So if it's a manual process we eliminate that manual process through an automation type of tool. Mm-hmm. So you can actually le- leverage their existing. Yes. Okay. So 
um, when you're just just to understand that a little bit. So you come in and you're you're looking at it and you say we're going to leverage this technology to make sure. So why why wouldn't? And this is a this is yeah. kind of a, a question for myself. Why haven't they done that yet? Okay, I mean if it's mm-hmm. their technology and they're still doing manual effort. Sure. Um, how come nobody's the light bulb hasn't gone off or and said, aha, you can use this? <laughs> no, well, yeah, exactly. Some of those things that are considered no code, they're doing that. So let's say they're using Microsoft, they're using Teams, they're doing, you know, OneDrive for Business, SharePoint Online. They've set some things up. The problem is they don't have the capacity to build the team internally, typically, to execute mm-hmm. these things at the efficiency that we do. You know, we call us, we're like elite in terms of this stuff. It's like the SEAL Team 6 coming in and doing, understanding <laughs> and analyzing their solutions and delivering those. And then we're on the, you know, we have the accountability for it, too. So when you kind of partner up with us, we have what we call return on innovation guarantee we do for every solution we build, meaning we, that defined usability, that feasibility matrix I talked about before of the value to the business, we determine that. And that's if we don't hit the metrics for success, we have to keep working for free for a period of three months until that solution hits the mark. So it's a really kind of a different type of approach. You know, our team comes in, we augment and support their IT if it's a larger organization, but small companies typically don't have the capacity to even entertain this. They might have one person has the skills but for execution and ongoing support and maintenance, they're just not going to be able to keep the pace for the needs of the business. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and that's kind of all at the the the, the larger company or enterprise level. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about the Jackrabbits for a minute. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> um, I really love that name. Okay, yeah. that is okay, really cool. funny. Okay. <laughs> um, um, you know, I mean, it, you know, the SMBs are kind of the backbone of the economy, and yes. um, mm-hmm. we did see we did see in the pandemic we saw that all of a sudden many of them were just kind of you know, standing there saying, oh, my God, I'm not digital, uh, digitally yeah. optimized, okay, and it pushed them into that world. But, um, you know, what what are you seeing now? Uh, you sure. know, uh, what's the trends you're seeing around yeah. around the SMB transitions? That's great. It's a great question. It's actually the innovation service that we offer, NetServe, is particularly targeted for the SMB space. We do the type, same type of work in the enterprise and large organizations, but innovation as a service, essentially, it's a monthly type of service. It's targeted really for the SMB from companies like anywhere from 25 to 500 employees, you know, the ones that are really are that backbone. I was one of those, you know, and I'm still kind of one of those, even NetServe, we're not that large, we're growing, but we're still in that SMB space. So it's just really, you. What happens in that world, in that environment, you get the access to the real critical stakeholders to help drive a digital transformation strategy. You're, te- you're speaking to the C-suite. So that's what uh, makes a successful di- uh, digital transformation strategy uh, be successful across the long term because you have to have the executive buy-in. It has to be really that kind of ex-co leadership that helps drive it because one thing to build these solutions, but there's also the user adoption and the training and the ongoing utilization to find that it's giving that return you're expecting. So again, the Jackrabbits have all these different satellite systems in place. Even the bigger organizations, they have big uh, application systems that the enterprises use, but they're not speaking to each other. So the same type of solutions that might be kind of uh, utilized in large organizations are applicable to a small company. It's just they have maybe a different um, team members and maybe people doing three tasks that can now be uh, solidified to one person that are three different people. We look at this, uh, how it's set up. We go through the use cases, that whole user journey, what they're doing. And once we identify that, we can implement uh, solutions that are going to work with their existing technology. Mm-hmm. And isn't isn't that a little bit more difficult to work with these guys? Not because they're <laughs> difficult themselves, but because you know they're. Let's take one somebody who has twenty five yeah. employees. Okay, yeah. you know they may be producing something, or or you know mm-hmm. it may be, it may it's a you know it's a a B two C business, yeah. and they're focus they you know they have to focus on their business. Okay, sure. they have to focus on continuing to serve their customers, and not on the technology, even though they realize that the technology is going to mm-hmm. make their life easier. So, um, you know, how do you kind of convince them that they to do this is the way to go? That's a really good point. And it's something the good news about the smaller organizations, the access to the people who can make the decisions is a little quicker. So once mm-hmm. we have that opportunity to 
you know, speak to the leadership of these companies. We can share examples in their space and in their industry of success, how another company did it and what it meant to them on their bottom line, essentially, because we measure the effectiveness on multiple different areas, technology, utilization, user adoption, time value savings and profitability. So when you start seeing that and you start seeing a real-time result for something that we were able to do for a small company of 40 people had a transactional benefit of a half percent of 1% profitability on $40 million projects, that also triggered him that this can really work for us as well. And that type of way we work has the limited investment from their time. A lot of things mm-hmm. we do, we just do what we call sprints. So every two to three weeks, we need their time. Once we do that initial um, analysis of what they're trying to achieve, the demands on the client are less. So they can focus on their business, what we do, what we have to do. And then when we're ready to come together every two to three weeks, we show them it, demo it. And if sometimes it even rolls right into the environment and becomes an actual working solution as we keep building. So that agile mm-hmm. approach, that perpetual agility we speak to all the time at our company is something they can take advantage of very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, you know, I have a, um, I, I'm going to ask you for an estimate. I'm going to tell you a little yeah. bit about a study. Um, Cinda, the sponsor of this, uh, did, they do a study each year called the Landscape Study where they, they, where they do about 5,000 SMBs across Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, before the pandemic, only about 5% were digitally, digitally transformed, mm-hmm. or I would say had the fundamental. After the pandemic, um, and their study in 2022, it went up to um, 18%. But I always thought that was really low still. Yes. So, I mean, Sounds low, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean yeah. yeah, I mean, what's if you kind of look at the, the jackrabbit landscape, okay, um, where do you think we are on getting these SMBs? Do you think oh, your experience, you know, do you think it's, you know, only half of them have transitioned or maybe That's a quarter of them? I think half is on the high side, but somewhere more than a quarter. It's like probably 35 to 40 percent of probably executing strategies. Get a member. It's also industry specific. Some companies, industries are very much laggards in terms of what they want to expose to the cloud. There's a lot of resistance, and if they, you know, there's they, whether it's good or bad, you know, they just don't. There's a resistance to move uh, off of the way they're currently doing it. The financial sector, for like accounting advisory examples, mm-hmm. they are slower to transition. Manufacturing are slower to transition, not for security reasons, just because of laggard industries and just the upgrade costs to move everything to a cloud-based systems. So it all depends. It's like, again, what industry is where they are. But I would say the trend is, and I can probably find research for it at a separate time, is more than 40% that in the SMB space, it probably mm-hmm. could even be higher now because it, it's such a, a immediate need for most organizations either either migrate and uh transition or you start becoming way behind in the industry because of the tools you get the automation you Mm -hmm. can take advantage of it accelerates decisions insights and also outcomes so much quicker than your competitor so that's Mm -hmm. that's where the that's when we have these conversations you mentioned before when i talk to someone at the c-suite level that's what i'm telling them about that opportunity that that whole framework of what they can envision and execute on by being in that world Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that'd be interesting. It'll be interesting with the with the numbers come out in twenty yep. um, in the twenty twenty three study. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna bit. take yeah we're gonna take a little break. Perfect. And when we come back, um, you mentioned the word security. And I, what I want to do is talk about I want to talk about three things when we come back. Is you know the first the um, customer experience, and then mm-hmm. some of the things that that we have to watch out for when doing this, such as um, privacy, mm-hmm. security, and and some of those hurdles that are always in front of us. And so for our guests. Today we're listening. We're talking with Andrew Cohen. He's the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, which was acquired by NetCert in December 2021, and he is now the managing director and partner at NetCert and heads up the NetCert Automate division. Now, if you'd like to learn more about NetCert, you can go to www.netcert.com. Now, NetCert is also on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And on Twitter under NetSort, and that is N-E-T-S-U-R-I-T. And Andrew is on LinkedIn, so please reach out to Andrew. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They have conferences. The next conference is in Porto, Portugal. And they also have an e-learning platform for startups. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thank you. 
America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly, your host. And today we're talking with Andrew Cohen. He's the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, which was acquired by NetSort in December 2021. And he's now the managing director and partner at NetSort and heads up the NetSort Automate division. And we're talking about um, transition, company transitions, de- dig- digital transitions, digital strategies. And um, Andrew, before the, the break, we talked about in the beginning, you said you look at three pillars. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of talked about the foundational and the operational, but we haven't talked about the third one. And that's the customer experience. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it seems like a lot of, you know, that's kind of looking inter- internal and external. Yes. Mm-hmm. And people kind of forget that sometimes. So, I mean, what are you seeing um, today? on customer experience because it has you know customer demand has changed it does the expectations for real-time answers is probably the biggest decision and obviously there's with the tools and they and all the chatter around chat gpt and open ai how companies are adopting and utilizing that to help their customer communication is really something we're getting heavily involved in now and, you know, again, we talked a little bit about uh, security and things like that. When you introduce things like chat into uh, GPT into an enterprise environment, any size corporation environment, you have to understand the guardrails you're really working with to make sure that that data that's sensitive does not leak out to the open AI environment. So there's different ways to approach it and how we look at those kind of solutions is coming very immediate for our customers. So I'll just say really quickly on a quick case of this. Uh, we speak to a customer, it's a large-scale customer, a big pharmacy that speaks to a big pharmaceutical. And the challenge is that they're operating on a different understanding of what money is owed and what money should be credited. And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars of transactions. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how large it is. But the internal company, you know, the, the end client, they have like three months of information they're trailing. And, but the customer is taking their credit all the time. So they'll short Mm -hmm. uh, pay an invoice, for example, millions of dollars. So the goal is, can we connect all the systems that communicate so that the uh, internal, which is the source of truth, the client, the RN client is the source of truth for this, that they can challenge those credits at that point. So it doesn't get credited or debited or anything unless it's a really accurate number. So we're talking about three or four different multiple systems that speak directly to a customer interface. So when the customer and the client are on there together speaking to each other, they're operating from the same information. So that real-time decisions, when they go through these meetings, there's not going to be this arm wrestling on who owes who what. It's the source Mm -hmm. of truth is transparent. It's right in front. And that's on Mm -hmm. a large scale. That's like a big enterprise. Yeah, so that that's a really good example of a um, kind of the 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 real time answers on a B two B basis. Yeah. Um, on a on a B two C basis, okay. And and I'm bring I'm bringing this up because I think I think 
hopefully, you know, um, chat GPT yeah. might help this a little bit. Yes. But I mean, right now, the 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 AI that's available on some of these, you know, I'm saying as a customer, it doesn't work all the time. It makes me crazy. Okay. I mean, I mean, oh, I never, I mean, I, I think this maybe 1% of the time I get the answer I need. Okay. So, I mean, where do you see, where do you yeah. see the development of this? Do you think this is, yeah. this is getting better? And do you think Chad GPT, GPT, you know, yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so I think what you have to, well, from a customer experience, so that's a B2C or, you know, what to a corporation to an individual, how they can best utilize things like ChatGPT is tapping into their internal knowledge base effectively, where it's really pulling from thousands and thousands of documents and support information that can be actually quickly, precisionally factored in based on that customer's question from natural language. So the, the virtual agents you're probably working with those um, AI bots and things that you see on websites, they're not typically using anything with ChatGPT or OpenAI. Mm -hmm. They're typically the old ones, which were pretty good. They're pretty uh, smart, but they're probably like a lower level of AI. With uh, the, heavy, the big learning type of models that now exist, you can uh, make those very precise to your internal library of content. So when a customer comes onto your site and is engaging with that virtual agent, they're speaking to a database that is only your database. It's not going to give you those kind of what we call the hallucination effects that could happen to chat GPT where you're getting mm. bad data. It's just going to be very tight to that information. So let's say they have a question on my product and it's uh, something in re regards to uh, an operational manual from three years ago. Well, the chat GPT bot can go and quickly find that information precise to that page and then serve it back to the customer in a real-time environment. And then when they're talking mm -hmm. with maybe a live rep, they're all operating on that same information. So that speed to information, the speed to a result, and then so much more precise and the precision of that result is why this is what's going to be enabled for corporations to go into B2C in that type of environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that that's <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, maybe um, you know it's got to be tested you know we'll see <laughs> i don't know maybe it's so far but you know we, you never know until it's real life so. you never know <laughs> no so um i want to touch on you know a couple hurdles okay and um and one you know two hurdles that we have when we're when we're doing all this and you know, I, I would say challenges okay um one is security and the other is privacy, okay? So we saw, especially after, you know, after um, Russia attacked Ukraine, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. the, the number of hacks and, and, and uh, security breaches, you know, really skyrocketed. Sure. So how, you know, how, does a, how do companies protect themselves against that? Yeah, and it's a good thing. It's a very good question. And like cybersecurity, we have a whole cybersecurity division in NetSir, and these guys are the ones who live in a cave somewhere. <laughs> Our guys are better than your guys kind of thing. You know, it's one of those that I don't know what they do all the time, but they really do. They'll do all the penetration testing and things of your environment and see how exposed you are. The problem with cyber and, um, and security and privacy is the human element a lot of times. And I don't mean to say we got to get rid of humans. It's just the phishing emails and things of that nature are getting so much more sophisticated. You've probably seen this in mm. your own inbox, Kimberly, all the time. Because of things like AI, it's making it feel more natural. So when you get this phishing email, when it maybe used to be very easy to spot because the language is all kind of broken and just didn't look right, they're getting a lot more sophisticated. So that human element is always in play. So the more you can train, and this is your internal training, your knowledge base internally, to make sure your employees understand what they're doing before they click on anything – that's the first point of entry. So if you can eliminate the human factor from making a bad decision with um, suspicious content, that'll eliminate a lot of the issues for how companies can uh, penetrate your environment. There's other phishing attacks. There's other ways where uh, these cyber attacks can happen from your public website. So it's really important to have a very strong cyber pro uh, profile and make sure everything that you have, no matter the size of your organization, is locked down. When we move to these platforms like Microsoft and uh, Microsoft 365 in the cloud and Azure, things that live in the cloud, this is all backed by the Microsoft kind of platform and their cyber profile. But even that, you want to sort of look at it, how you're handling cybersecurity risks across your whole company. But again, it comes down to the individual sometimes. And that's the one that has to be trained. And the more upskilling yeah. training you can do, the better. Yeah, I tra training is a lot. I know I do see my inbox sometimes. You have to look three <laughs> times. Actually, even the, you know the stuff that uses Microsoft addresses, the, which are not real Microsoft addresses, exactly. and you're, you know, you're kind of looking at them, going, you know, you have to look okay. at it like really carefully to see if it's real or if it's not real, you know. But um, right. and then. Right. 
Yeah. And then we have our favorite subject here in Europe, GDPR. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, um, and uh, you know, yes. you have um, ver- you have various versions in the U.S. Okay. Um, and um, privacy. And yeah. I think, you know, now the European um, legislation is looking at AI also. Yeah. Okay. So, course, right. I mean, I mean, you know, privacy is very important. And and when you talk to you, just because of the fines that come along with it, okay? Um, sure, sure. How, how do you, when you work with your, with your clients, um, how do you approach this subject? No, exactly. And our, we look with a lot of uh, global clients, so we have to focus on GDPR and obviously any of the U.S. constraints as well. And that's why we really kind of lean towards platforms. You know, it allows us a platform like Microsoft kind of solidifies those kind of requirements. We adopt their policies. So if those policies are in place, it's going to adapt to pretty much every policy that's needed for Europe as well as the U.S. or other markets. In South Africa, they they have a thing called Popia, same type mm-hmm. of thing. You know, about the privacy laws and things of that nature. But we work with big pharma, finance industries. They're all moved to the cloud for a reason because they take advantage of the Microsoft environment and all the support that's there, whether it's HIPAA compliance or you know GDPR or anything they need to have take advantage of them privacy laws. And yeah. they can piggyback on that versus they used to have to build their own infrastructure team to support all that. So they can really mm-hmm. downsize their tech debt investment in terms of support and all the cyber things they have to do that profile and focus on the real problems at hand and making sure that they're in an environment and a platform that can support and just really shore up those kind of uh, privacy issues. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is, it's, you know, yeah. it's pretty stable now, like CCPA in California and GBPR mm-hmm. and Papilla also is one, are some yeah. of the three really c- concrete ones. But yeah, so we're getting, um, Andrew, we're getting towards the end. Okay. And uh, I, so I, I have a couple, I have one last question for you. Um, you know, everything's changing so quickly. Okay. I mean, you know, a year ago, chat GPT wasn't here. Okay. Um, you know, everything just is moving so quickly. So, um, if you had some advice for our listeners, okay, because they're mostly senior level managers, um, you know, how can they keep up with this and how can they make sure that Mm -hmm. their companies really keep, have a digital strategy that looks forward? Right. And that's a, that's a really great question. And that's why, we, when we introduced the Innovate offering, we really focused on how they can leverage their technology investment, really take an inward approach. You don't have to adopt everything that's coming down the line because it's impossible to always stay on the cutting edge of everything. But you look at where you start charting your roadmap. That's why we call it that perpetual innovation, perpetual agility. It's not a final destination point. So look where you are, where you are currently, where your technology is invested in, uh, where you're going to potentially migrate and um, consolidate your technology investment. And then you can start introducing these opportunities to augment your business by automating certain areas. And it's can, can, they can be quick wins that could take two to three weeks to do or some longer term projects that are critical applications that could be three to four or six months in terms of ex- execution efforts. So it's important from that look, look inward, consultant partners like ourselves or other companies like that we do and understand, do that assessment, that uh, impact of what it means to your business when you start doing this uh, migration, this transition, this digital transformation, because everything that we build has downstream effects. Systems that get fixed have another system I talk to. So you you really need to understand your full picture of where you're trying to be and understand that it's going to be an ongoing type of effort. It's not a once and done. It's a rinse and repeat type of solution. Mm-hmm. I like that rinse and repeat. <laughs> so no, thank. It's been it's been really great. Um, I no, learned quite a bit today. Yeah, and for our listeners, we have been talking with Andrew Cohen, and he is the former CEO and managing partner at Evoke, and if, which was acquired by NetSuite in December 2021. And Andrew is now managing director and partner at NetSuite and heads up NetSuite's. Automate division. And Evoke is an award award winning digital transformation company that partners with their clients to build modern workplace solutions for nearly every common organization and technology challenge available. And Andrew launched 
They evoke engaged vision, which focuses on automation and streamlining processes. He joined NetSuite at the beginning of 2022, and this allows NetSuite to provide their clients with guidance and solutions using technology to maximize ROI. And I think, I think Andrew, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to maximizing ROI and serving right. your customers, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It does. It's perfect. Yeah. Way to sum it up. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, yeah. So um, if you'd like to learn more about NetSuret, please go to www.netsuret.com. And NetSuret is also on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And they also are on YouTube under NetSuret underscore global. And NetSuret is N-E-T-S-U-R-I-T. And if you'd like to reach out to Andrew, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. And this broadcast has also been brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, do conferences, do market research, legislative white papers focused on digital. They also have learning series Thursdays at 1700 CET, and they hold conferences. And the next conference will be held in Porto, Portugal, October 22nd to 25th. Cinda also has a platform for startups where they allow founders and entrepreneurs to access the platform at no charge, and it helps founders and entrepreneurs go from idea to exit through a e-learning platform. So if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And Leadership Beyond Borders is on the air every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are on every major podcast platform from from Google to Apple to Stitcher to Spotify. Just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and you will find us. And with that, once again, Andrew, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much. And I hope Chelsea will do better next year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I can't do worse. I mean, you know, they're going to be doing <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I hope Dortmund will get their crap together next year. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. We could talk about that next year, right? <laughs> so, talk about Thanks that for having me year. on, Kimberly. This okay. has been a real pleasure okay. talking to you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. And take care. And for our listeners, take care and tune in to again next week. For that, now, goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.